So as a, uh, a bit of a review, um, Joshua has led the uh, Israelites into the promised land. He has conquered the land and um, divided up the land uh, among the tribes and um, now has dispersed the people to the tribes, uh, to their uh, inheritance. And um, the tribes were then to do a mop-up operation to rid the Canaanites from the land. And uh, we saw that they started off well, but uh, in the long run they failed to do what God had commanded them to do. And as Joshua and the elders died off, the next generation uh, had been taught and seen what God has done, saw that God brought them into the promised land, saw some of the things that went on. But that generation failed to teach their kids about God. As we saw last week, uh, God had commanded the people to teach the next generation about who he is what he has done in the history of the people. And they were to teach their children about the law as a moral standard for life given to them by God. And they failed to do that. And so we see that uh, from the graph that we had here a couple of weeks ago that similar things are happening in our country, the greatest generation from World War II uh, were... seem to be walking closer to God and then baby boomers and and Generation X and now Generation Z seem to be falling away from uh, from God uh, as far as church attendance was a concern. So that brings us up to Judges chapter 2 and verse 11. Judges 2 and verse 11. We'll pick up our study. Uh, there, and uh, we'll see what failures this later generation, um, and what God, how God deals with them. Verse 11, then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, <coughs> and served the Baals, and they forsook the Lord the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Asherah. First thing you want to, I want to point out here is that they did this sinning in the sight of God. They may have thought that God was far away, but he was near, and he saw, he saw it all. Again, it's, we see some... Uh, Attributes here of, of God, uh, as Brother Micah is, is preaching through some of these attributes, we see here the omnipresence. God is everywhere. God is close. He sees it all. He sees the good things that you do, even if they are as filthy rags to him, but he also sees the evil and the sin that you commit. 
and how often people back then and people today <coughs> believe that they can get away with their sins before an omnipresent God. In Genesis 1, we find uh, this repeatedly, that God saw that it was good. <coughs> that kind of sight involves evaluation. And so we can say the same thing about this verse that we just read here. What God witnessed here, though, he judged to be evil. So it's a form of evaluation, good, evil. What he did before sin entered the world was good. <clears throat> what man does after sin has entered the world is basically evil. And next, in these verses, we are reminded that God, what God had done for them. God reminds the people, remember, um, I brought you up out of Egypt. The reason for this reminder is that there is a general principle in Scripture. Your deliverer is also your ruler, your lawgiver. And they failed to acknowledge God's deliverance out of Egypt. And they failed to follow him. Um, Zacharias said about Christ, Christ came to grant us what we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, that we might serve him without fear. Luke 1.74 Christ delivered us, so we should be willing to serve him. God had delivered them from Egypt, but they failed to serve him. Thus, the next text calls attention to God's delivering them from Egypt in order to highlight the fact that they did not serve him. So the essence of their apostasy is mentioned here. And that is that they worshipped Baal. And Baal was the male and Asheroth the female principle in, in nature, according to the Canaanite religion. And so by worshipping Baal, it ties the Israelites to the sin of idolatry. While worshipping Asheroth through sexual debauchery, ties them with the sin of covenant adultery. They were seeking other gods. Remember, Israel's in a covenant relationship with God. They reject God as the deliverer. They seek out after other gods. And so, in effect, this is a covenantal adultery. They're breaking that covenant, committing adultery with other gods. So as we said last week, that these are the two as twin aspects of um, sin as presented through the, throughout the book of uh, Judges. As I stated earlier in other lessons, Baalism was the secular humanism of the ancient world. And since the battle in the days of Judges was against this ancient form of humanism, uh, much the same that we are fighting against today, let me just kind of recap what we've already mentioned when we started this lesson real quick here. 
when we started this uh, study. Baalism is, in essence, the crediting of all power to nature. In effect, the universe has within it the force of life. We see that evident in, the, in our culture today where we have atheistic evolution that declares that everything came from nothing, including life. Nature has the power to create life, according to a lot of the atheistic uh, teachings today. The world as we know it is the result of this union of the ultimate male and female principle of the universe, which is the Canaanites called Baal and Asheroth. And the Baal-Asheroth religion was very much concerned with fertility. The creator God of the Bible had also promised fertility to Israel if they were faithful to him. So Deuteronomy 7, 13 and 14 says this, God telling the people, this is what I will do for you. He will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. He will bless the fruit of your womb, the crops of your land, your grain, your new wine and olive oil, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks, and the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. You will be blessed by more than any other people. None of your men or women will be childless, nor will any of your livestock be without young. This is what he promised them to do, but part of this covenantal promise was that he demanded moral loyalty from them, and especially with regard to sexual chastity. The religion of Baalism, however, advocates exactly the opposite. In order to obtain fertility, they included chaotic sexual encounters in order to stimulate nature, in order to stimulate Baal and Asheroth. And then they believed that fertility would be the result, human fertility, animal fertility, and crops fertility. So the true religion of the Canaanites, uh, I'm sorry, the true religion of Israel said that fertility was obtained by submitting to the Creator, while Baalism said fertility was obtained by stimulating nature. Thus, in true religion, man is the servant of God. He humbles himself before God. He submits himself before God. Well, in Baalism, man is the Lord of his God, which is nature. And this nature needs to be stimulated by man. So thus we have a sinful state of our affairs that we find ourselves in today. And today we find that man sees himself as Lord of his God. Man can determine his own gender. Man has the right to determine who is to be born and who is to die. We see here man portraying himself as God over his, his power over his God, nature. So that's a recap, a real quick, of what Israel has fallen into. 
and some of the things that we're still struggling with today along these same lines. Well, God begins to judge these people in verses, uh, chapter 2, verse 14 and on. God begins to judge them. The Lord's judgment against Israel are set out in two sections, in verse 14 and verse 20. In both of these verses, 14 and 20, it begins with the same phrase, and the anger of the Lord burned against them. Stop and think about that for a minute. That's quite a statement. The anger of the Lord burned against them. You have the God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all life and all things, and he burns with anger against you. That's a terrifying thought to me. Terrifying, if there ever was a thought like that, that was it just kind of sends chills up my spine. The first section explains the principle of what I call the slavery deliverance cycle, while the second section explains why the nations were allowed to remain in the land. And today we're going to cover the first section, these talk about the slavery and deliverance cycle. So we'll pick up our reading again with verse 14. And the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. And he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies around about, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. As the Lord had spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them, so that they were severely distressed, then the Lord raised up judges, and he delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. And yet, and yet, they did not listen to their judges. For they played the harlot after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do as their fathers. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them from the hand and their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. But it came about when the judge died that they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers and following other gods to serve them, and bow down to them. They did not abandon their practices or their stubborn ways. This passage kind of deals with the basic principles of, of what God used, not only to deal with Israel, but also in dealing with his people throughout all ages including today. 
as a chastisement for their wickedness, God sold them, verse 14, into the hands of their enemies. So we have this picture here of slavery once again. God had delivered them out of the bondage of Egypt, but because they sinned against them, again he allows the enemies to capture and enslave them. And I believe this is not only a physical enemy, which we find in Scripture, but uh, we see here that their sins are capturing them as well. Their spiritual uh, slavery uh, is taking place as well. So we see here a return of slavery is in view. The passage emphasizes that it's God who is actively at work chastising his people. And the strong language is used. It says, wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. Verse 15. But at the same time, it is also stressed in verse 16 that it was also the Lord who raised up their judges, who saved them. The word saved in Hebrew is Yasha, from which we get the word Joshua and also Jesus. It basically means to put into a large open place, which is what Joshua had originally done when he brought the people into the promised land. The coming judges would do similar uh, things as well as they would uh, conquer the enemies of Israel's people to put them in an open place, safe place. These deliverances by God did not have the desired effect of changing the culture, however. Such is the depravity and the sinful nature of the human heart. It says they turned aside quickly from the Lord and played the harlot after other gods in verse 17. With the promise of the new covenant that we are under, um, it was hoped that this falling away will not occur as often and that the church will respond more favorably to God's deliverance in Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 31, 31 says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah, and it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by their hand and led them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant. Though I was husband to them, declares the Lord, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they'll be my people. Interestingly, uh, we never hear much more about Baalism after this point. Rather, the problem becomes a loyalty to the law, a loyalty to the law apart from the person of God. 
It's a perverse loyalty the people uh, will obtain. Believing that the law was made and if obeyed would be a way of eternal salvation rather than responding to it and seeing their sin uh, and seeking forgiveness. They thought, and as we see later on in the days of of, uh, Jesus, that by that time the Pharisees had 600 and some laws that you had to follow if you were going to be saved. And that's the perverse loyalty that develops beginning here. But we should note that the New Testament times, the synagogue and the church has spread and and went throughout the Roman Empire and the Persian Empire. And as well, uh, this overflow of evangelism was um, not part of the pre-exile Israel. There is a decline in expansion and a time for expansion, an age of expansion, and that's where we're at today with the Matthew 28 Great Commission given to us. But even we have to be mindful of the sinful nature of the human heart um, that we're in constant uh, war with, with our sins and sometimes there's periods of, of dropping back, periods of apostasy, periods of quickly falling away, even in our time. And we ignore the many things that God has done on our behalf, like Israel has ignored. So we see some parallels here. There are some setbacks even in this age of the new covenant. And there is apostasy as well. This century and the last, the 21st and the 20th century, has been time of great apostasy in the Western world. Just as surely as the sad history of the judges sheds light on our sorry condition is, is very similar to what's happened during that time period is happening here. We are sold in verse 18, we are told in verse 18 that the Lord was with the judge and that it was the Lord who, through the judge, saved Israel. Well, this is important, for it shows that the judges are pictures of Jesus Christ, who is the Lord. And when we look at the actions of the judges, look at their actions, but not their sins, we must see the Lord uh, working through them. The judges are types of Christ, not only because of their actions symbolizes his, and not only that they were anointed by the Spirit, but also and especially because Christ was there with them, directing them, controlling their actions. So I believe you can see Christ working clearly in the book of Judges as he works through these people. This principle of continually falling away is said once again in verse 19. They did not turn away, they did only turn away quickly, but they acted more corruptly than their forefathers. Things only got worse. What I believe this passage points to, in a way, 
of principle is this. Human culture is, in effect, a product of religion. Those who serve the Lord will develop a godly culture with Christian benefits of liberty, mutual respect, peace, and love. Service to other gods, like the Israelites were doing, likewise produced cultures that are in line with those gods, with the values of government statism, moral and social degradation, war, and corruption. Israel had become enslaved to the Canaanite gods. It was therefore logical and necessary that they also became enslaved to the Canaanite culture. In effect, God said, and this is what we went over last week, this is what you want, I'll give it to you as part of your my judgment. He says, so you like to be gods of the Ammon? Well, then you're going to also love to be under the Ammonite culture. And then after a period of time of groaning and moaning, oh, you don't like to be bondage to the Ammons. You'd like to have me as your God once again. Well, wonderful, I'll send a judge and we'll have my son as his captain and he'll set you free from the Ammonites. Just an example of the cycle that they were going through here. God's judgments are never arbitrary. God chastens and curses people by giving them what they want. Israel wanted Baalism and their philosophy, so God gave it to them into the hands of the Baalistic civilizations. Since they were slaves of the gods of these cultures, it was only proper that they should also be slaves of the cultures themselves as well. What does this say about God's people in our culture today? Any thoughts or comments? And that's why I tried to connect earlier. That generation did not teach 
the laws to their children. They did not raise up the children in, in the love and admonition of the Lord. And, and that's the result of it. That's what's that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Right. I was going to quote uh, Bob Dylan, but I didn't think he's somebody worth quoting. But he wrote a song that says, you're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve the Lord or you're going to serve Satan. But you're going to serve somebody. That's the key uh, that's been kicked around even this last couple of weeks. We determine what reality is, you know, and we are God, and we determine who lives and who dies and what gender I am. All right, let me pause here and maybe run down a rabbit trail. I may get some criticism from this, but that's okay. <laughs> but um, trying to make some application to our own current culture. Um, so I'll go ahead and open up a can of worms here. <clears throat> but I think it's worth considering. I believe it was uh, G.K. Chesterton uh, who said, when man no longer believes in God, it isn't that now he believes in nothing, but he rather will believe in anything. And we see that happening, I think, uh, coming to fruition in our culture. 
We saw from last week's graph that uh, the upcoming generations are moving away from the faith in a traditional Christian church. And um, they seem to be pursuing at a high rate of speed the culture of modern Baalism or secular humanism. And God seems to be permitting them to become a slave to this culture. In Judges 16 through 23, we see the obedience and, or disobedience of Israel determines what happens with regard to foreign nations. They could become captives and, and uh, God will allow nations to rise up and, and control them. We haven't, uh, we haven't got there yet, but verse 21 states that God will no longer drive out before Israel any of the nations that Joshua left them when he died because of their disobedience. And last week we read about how they became a snare and a thorn in the side of Israel. Now, here's the, the iffy part. Now, I realize that taking specific situations concerning Israel of old and trying to make uh, contemporary geopolitical and international relations is a little bit risky, but I, we cannot, uh, we cannot take all the details of what happened back then and use it to some sort of foolproof um, uh, template for what happens today. Um, this is mainly because Israel was a special covenant relationship with Yahweh, and that modern countries like Germany and Australia and Canada are not. However. We know that all individuals and nations today are under the Lordship of Christ. And whether they know it or not, or whether they like it or not, God is in control and he has a plan. But this special, unique covenant relationship with Israel is, is different. Now, having said that, I believe that there are some general principles that we can apply. God can and does judge nations based on the sins of the people whether they are not teaching the next generation about God or whether they are chasing after false gods such as secular humanism, materialism, or pride, or at least of all uh, choices and actions that violate God's other commandments and statutes. God will judge the people. And since judgment begins in the household of God, 1 Peter 4.17 Often it is the condition of the churches in the land that may determine how God acts. In other words, we cannot just blame those pagan non-believers for God's judgment. I think we believers have plenty to answer for. The downward spiral given in this chapter is Israel's own making. That is, Israel's, and as Pastor just said, you know, they were warned. And they chose to go in this direction. Israel's experience of oppression and testing is the consequence of disobeying God's commands. At the same time, the writer of Judges clearly reveals that God is the one who has given or sold them into the hands of, of plunderers and enemies. Now, this is not a contradiction. We can't say, on one hand, well, it's all Israel's fault, and yet God 
permitted this. It's not a contradiction, but rather an explanation of how covenant blessings, such as enjoying the land of milk and honey that God had gave them, are contingent upon their obedience. So in the same way, the Lord himself will later send his people into exile because of their disobedience. But the Lord will also restore them to the land because of his loving and gracious plans. But here in this, we also learn that God is not only the protector who always rescues his distressed people. He's also the complete parent of Israel who disciplines his children through tough love. Such discipline consists of temporarily giving them over to their oppressors to, in order to test their faithfulness to the covenant, test their faithfulness to God himself. From this section of the book of Judges, we learn many lessons about the nature of trials and sin and faithfulness. Ken Way shares some of these lessons in his commentary on Judges, and I just thought it might be of interest for you to take a look at these as I go over them. Mr. Montry, would you pass these out? These are things that (coughs) Kenneth Wave had uh, listed in his book, and I just thought I'd like to go over them real briefly. Number one, sometimes God's people may go through hard times as a consequence of unfaithfulness to God. And this principle is not just limited to Old Testament saints. We find examples again in the book of John and 1 Corinthians. And sometimes God, (coughs) number two, sometimes God may will, may will that his people go through hard times for a period of probationary testing. The Lord disciplines those he loves, and as such, experiences are for our good in order that we might share in his holiness. Number three, people are inclined to forget what God has done in the past. Remembrance is, however, essential for growing in the faith. We continually to teach our little ones what God has done in the past. At least we should. We should bring those things to mind ourselves. Number four, people are prone to rebel against God and to worship other gods. This runs directly against the first commandment, which demands exclusive alliance, allegiance to Yahweh. While Christians today may not be tempted to worship at a physical altar of Baal, they may face the spiritual equivalent by expressing allegiance to creation like it worshiping the climate 
and worshiping nature instead of worshiping the Creator. Number five, the cycle of sin is downward spiral. And we saw this last week as Israel compromised with the world, as Israel compromised with other religions and other philosophies, it went down more and more and more. So it's wise to remember that this pattern in general is a rule that is hard to uh, reverse once you've started. And it's impossible to do so without God's blessing and help. So as believers, we must be very careful not to put themselves into compromising situations, whether it's in the family or as individuals or even in your, your employment. Be careful not to put yourself in compromising positions. Number six, each new generation must learn how to be faithful to God. Perhaps Joshua and the elders failed to pass the baton of faith to their successors, or the following generation failed to apply what they were taught by their ancestors. Either way, the consequences are disastrous for Israel. And likewise, in the church and in the home today, Christian leaders carry a huge responsibility of schooling their young people in this way of Christ. And all Christians bear the responsibility to know and apply what is handed down to them. So again, I, I caution is needed in seeking to understand the fine details of political realities today in light of these important Old Testament texts um, that we find here in the book of Judges. But, but aware of the principles that laid down to our benefits, though, perhaps the basic lesson laid out here will be for us to seek and un understand why God would raise up the Trudeaus of Canada, and the Jinpings of China, and the Macrons of France, and the Andrews of Australia. Perhaps God is doing this, or allowing these to do this, to take us into bondage as part of his judgment. And even the Bidens of America. John Calvin is credited with saying, when God wants to judge a nation, he sends them evil rulers. Perhaps this is part of the application from judges to our culture today, to our world today, as to what God is doing. Any thoughts, comments before we close? Yeah. Well, maybe we don't have much of a choice. The vocal of our evil. Any other thoughts? Okay. All right. Brother Tim, would you close us in prayer, please?
Amen. You're dismissed.